0: Are you a student, recent graduate, or career changer looking for an opportunity to grow your skills? Or do you know someone who is? I wanna tell you about Creative Generation's summer residency program. We at Creative Generation encourage systemic change by working within and disrupting the current structures of the arts and culture, education, and social change sectors. Recognizing some of the long-standing negative impacts of the traditional internship model Our organization seeks to mentor new professionals entering our field with the necessary tools, training, and resources that will aid them in changing the landscape for our future. This virtual program will span 10 weeks from around June 7th to August 20th, 2021, and includes learning opportunities, professional work experiences, mentorship opportunities, and a capstone project. The program is specifically tailored to benefit undergrads, graduate students, recent graduates, and career changers. Applications are due on Monday, May 17th, 2021, by 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. For more information and to apply, please visit www.creative-generation.org/slash work with us. This is Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. Hola, hola. Soy Carla. It's Rachel here. What's good, y'all? I'm Ashraf.
1: And I'm Madeline.
0: Why Change is a podcast that brings listeners around the globe to learn how arts, culture, and creativity, especially as applied by young people, can change the world, one community at a time. You're invited each week to learn and laugh while exploring the question, why change? All right, let's get started welcome to this episode of the why change podcast my name is jeff Poulin, and i am your host i'm joined today by our co-host madeline mcgurk welcome madeline
1: hi thank you lovely to be back how are you
0: i'm doing great it's so wonderful to see you and to be able to catch up today and you know i am so inspired today it is a monday when we're recording this and i am just off a weekend working with some young dancers in a theater in person uh, here in the United States. Everyone's starting to get vaccinated, and it has been really, really wonderful. And not to mention, it's my last week teaching a class with future arts managers as our semester comes to a close. So the inspiration is just flowing, and I feel like I have a a really positive outlook about work and life, uh, springtime and change, and all of the things that are um, happening today. What, what's going on in your world? What's inspiring you today?
1: I am with you. I also had quite a big weekend. It's um, It was our election here in Scotland on Thursday and my partner is a campaign manager for the Greens, which is one of the small parties here and um, they had a really good election and I was so I was glued to the TV. He was obviously at the vote count and I was glued trying to figure out what all the different and vote counts men and what were they elected or were they not and his candidate who's been one of his candidates who's been working with really closely and really pioneering for got in by a hundred votes and so he is just over the moon so we have just been celebrating all weekend and he is exhausted (laughs) so i think his pajamas will be on for like a week but i am super inspired they added 50% on to their tap, like the amount of votes they got last time has increased by 50% again. So it's growing, people are are seeing the need for it, and it's it's super exciting. So I'm with you in the sort of taking on Monday, like Bill by the Horns kind of vibes.
0: That's excellent. And you know, those types of things, it's hard to, you know, divorce from some of the work that we do. We work with <laughs> artists and young people, um, and change makers all over. And There is a a stark reality about the role of politics and civic engagement um, in in what we do. I know within our work at Creative Generation, a lot of our research has found that there's a natural connection between how we can apply arts-based pedagogies to the development of young people, particularly through the lens of civic practice, social justice work, um, and other um, topics that are relevant to young people, which really just amplifies the way that they develop their skills, their sense of mm-hmm. identity and community connections and, and service to uh, greater society. Um, and I wonder, it, have you seen some of that in Scotland amidst uh, an election?
1: Massively. It's like, so the two main parties are like that, the the SNP that won um you know, almost an entire majority, which our system is not set up to provide. So that's a huge result for them. Um, are one of the um, one of the sort of more liberal, left-leaning parties, and so and the Greens, who've doubled their vote, even though it's a small vote, um, are also on the left, and both have pretty comprehensive social care platforms. They are both advocating for young people and for LGBTQIA kind of rights and um, the Greens just passed recently um, free bus travel for everyone under the age of 25 and going forward and these kind of things that increase access little by little for young people and so naturally when I think of your work and my work and the participatory arts overall we're all striving for the same thing and so we are—we have different approaches, but we all kind of agree on the vision we're aiming for. And so seeing this election come out the way it did, it kind of underlines that those people are the people that are voting and that are electing people and will be representing us for the next five years. So I'm just delighted. I mean, clearly there are parties that do not share that vision and we're also elected to some seats, but the majority are striving for the same thing. And that includes creative approaches, they'll have culture policies that include artists and government spaces and civic spaces. And it, oh, I'm buzzing, I'm really pleased.
0: You know, that's fantastic. And and I think uh, like disclaimer that, you know, regardless of politics, I think you and I are probably uh, personally fairly aligned, but, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of politics, there are certain truths about the arts that are pretty consistent. I know here in the United States, there was a study done in about, I think it was 2016, Um, prior to our presidential election that year that concluded something like 94% of Americans believe that the art should be part of every child's education. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't get Americans to agree on 94%, (laughs) you know, for anything. And so, you know, the fact that that's there, it shows you that people from all different walks of life, all different political persuasions, all different ideologies can get behind this idea that creativity and the development of cultural identity and so much more is is really important. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that the arts and culture too open up pathways for having those tough conversations to think about and reconcile the different approaches that different political parties may have. But at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, those are just pathways towards the same goal, as you said. And mm-hmm. and I know you you actually had a conversation with someone who does this for a living uh, in New York City. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about the work of of Yasmani Arboleda and and what they do in co-creating and humanity and love and joy and imagination in New York City?
1: Yeah. So so Yazmani is New York City's artist in residence. Um, for it's a really specific department whose name. I will say correctly in the interview, and won't try and remember verbatim here, but it's basically for civic engagement and encouraging folks to vote, um, bring in communities that often are um, overlooked in terms of access efforts to voting or intentionally excluded. And um, he goes out and he creates artworks and engagement with communities. Um, But really what he does super well, and you'll hear him talk about this, is, not, it's not quite conflict transformation, but it's more community building. So he goes into areas where there are silos or where there are divisions and a lot of otherness um, applied to each other. And he finds artistic interventions where folks can come together and rehumanize each other. And so applying that to democracy and to voter engagement is a really exciting concept, I think. And especially this week, I'm all about it. So, um He's a really interesting one to listen to. He explains how he does it really well, so I won't go over it again, but it yeah, well worth a listen.
0: All right. well, then without further ado, enjoy Yasmani's interview.
1: Hi, Yasmani, welcome. Thank you so much for being here to talk to me for the Why Change podcast. It's so nice to be finding the time to catch up and hear about your work. How are you?
2: Thank you so much for having me, Madeleine. I really appreciate being here and in conversation with you and with our community. Yes,
1: I'm so excited. I have so many questions. Um, And before I get to them, I want to give a quick introduction so that everyone kind of knows our background and the kind of work you do on on a very broad strokes kind of way. So for anyone who doesn't know, Yasmani is an artist who works on large scale projects all over the world. They are designed to bring communities together. You've traveled loads and worked in some really interesting parts of the world. So I'm keen to get hear into hearing about some of that in a moment. To start with, though, and to give a little background, you and I met in New York back in 2018 at ITAC 4 which was our fourth international teaching Artists conference. And you had a really cool role in that. You were there giving a presentation about some of the the transforming communities you've been doing but you also designed our communal art project for the conference which is one of my favorite memories of that event and now I believe you're New York City's official artist in residence with the city's commission for civic engagement so congratulations on all of that it's cool to see you going from strength to strength I've been watching along on social media giving me a little cheer (laughs) Um, And so all of this is to say you're a pretty busy person and you have loads of creative ideas about how to make positive change in the world. So to help us get started learning about that, can you tell us probably much more articulately a bit about yourself and the work that you do?
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Madeline. I appreciate that question. Uh, My name is Yasmani Arboleda. My pronouns are he and they. when I think about my art practice, I think about the notion that, for me, art is much more, it's less of a noun, an object that sits in space, whether it be on a, on a wall or in the middle of a room as a sculpture. I often think about art as a verb, how is it, how is it something that we do together? Um, I'm much more interested in the idea that human beings in collaboration actually create living sculptures that transform, not just the way we see ourselves as individuals, but as collectives. Uh, when I think about what a when I think about a drawing, I think about yes, we can put a, a a pencil to a piece of paper, but it's the it's the invitation to imagine the collective future that cannot exist unless you and I are in conversation. Mm-hmm. And so for me, any given gathering, any given space, I always think, who are we here, and how do we make ourselves manifest? What can we do here together that feels impossible? That's gonna move our imaginations, exercise our imaginations in a dynamic way. That's gonna give us new information about who we are and what we can do uh, in terms of uh, um, our agency in the world. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's so critical right now more than ever to understand that the imagination is a resource in and of itself. And we need to be, be building gymnasiums for our imaginations so that we can practice them. Because I think that's how we build the future of tomorrow. A future that is healthy for all people, that that is inclusive, uh, where everybody has the capacity and the opportunity to live their best life according to themselves.
1: Yeah, I think imagination is a word I'm hearing so much just now. I was just listening into a thing last night with Dr. Chris Emden, and he was talking to Anna Devere-Smith, and they were quoting Maxine Green loads, and it was to do with imagination and not shying away from really pushing the boundaries, positive and negative, of where that can take you. And mm-hmm. I'm curious, I know that co-creation is a big part of what you do, and clearly imagination is sort of the, the muscle you're looking for folks to flex. And I wonder, are there any other key elements that any, like, Yasmani project embodies? You know, like, what other elements do you see as, like, a staple for you?
2: Yeah, I will say that another one of those things that come forward for me immediately when you ask that question is joy. Mm-hmm. I prioritize joy in everything we do. It's like how, it, you know, what is the playlist we have playing in the background? Because that's going to influence the way we're feeling as we're creating meaningful connections. I often also think about the notion of food. I often think, gosh, in any given process, how is it that we're sitting down and feasting together? The act of breaking bread in in the company of another leads to conversations and, and um, spaces that make us much more familiar to each other in a way mm-hmm. that's really human. And so elements like that, I'm like, you know, how is that we're prioritizing that? I, I often think in my work with the city of New York, how is it that in government we can prioritize beauty and joy? Because to me, they are the elements that can make democracy truly sustainable. How is there a joy in the practice of governing and of, 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 the, of, the, of co-leading, of, of practicing decision-making, voting, all these elements, how, are, how is beauty and joy a part of every element? Because for me, I always think, gosh, how is it that color can play a role in transforming the way we, imagine ourselves whether it be by the t-shirt that we're wearing or the table or the tablecloth that is that is that is said that transforms the way we think about the conversation that is happening above that tablecloth right mm-hmm. how are these aesthetic elements beginning to inform the way we're having conversation and building meaning together
1: yeah so about your role with new york city um Could you talk a little bit more about that? I'm I'm conscious everyone listening can't see this amazing mural you have behind Mm -hmm. you of an octopus, but you were explaining a little before we started recording about that and your sort of approach to your role with New York. And I wonder if you could just explain a little bit more about that, how you're approaching that work, what you're aiming to do.
2: Yeah, thank you for asking about that. I'm really excited. I have the honor of being the artist in residence for the Commission of Civic Engagement for the City of New York. The commission is just Three years old, it was created by a referendum that happened in 2018. I think it's important that uh, our audience knows that um, the agency is the only agency with a mandate to build trust in our democracy here in New York City. And so when I learned this and when I, you know, when I took on this role, for me, it was so important that we actually begin by defining what is the storytelling tradition of our agency? How do we tell stories? And how do we do that in a multimodal, multilingual way? That begins to really transform the way people think about democracy. One question that always comes to mind when I think about the practice and these octopus uh, is, what is the flavor of democracy? How is democracy envisioned and embodied in ways that are dynamic? Because I, I often think that people think that democracy is something that lives in our brains, in the minds, and I am interested in having it be something that lives in the heart, something that is. You know, what is the dance of democracy? What is the, is it? Is the flavor honey so that it's sticky and sweet? Right? Mm-hmm. How is it something that you're inviting everybody to? That is, how are we taking care of each other, of our neighbors, of our families, and in the in the context of where we live? And so, as an artist in residence for the commission, it's really been my work to think about who are the, you know who are who's doing the work? How do we do it together? How do we transform the way we do that work so that when we reach outwardly into the communities we're meant to be supporting, we can enable them to imagine through the actions and the and the relationships that are being built as we're building them, mm-hmm. right?
1: Right. And so this, here's a question. I don't know if, you, if there's an answer, but I'll ask you anyway. When, when I think about democracy and I think about people reacting with feelings as opposed to in their brains, alarm bells start going off for me about like knee-jerk reactions that aren't useful, right? And, and feelings we have about things that are counterintuitive and that if you deep dive topics or facts or research you understand things differently. So I wonder, do you have an approach to identifying feelings that serve you versus I- feelings that are not helpful in achieving the end goal you're going for, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you're naming something that I really appreciate, which is like, there's parts of me that in process have guttural reactions to things and to understand that that there's a vo- my my internal voice is reacting and my ancestors are informing the way that I'm responding to any given question or moment, uh, which I think that there's a, an importance to that. Uh, but I, when I think about the work the work that I'm doing right now, I often think about a flamenco dancer, and this is the metaphor: the flamenco dancer has the responsibility to be on the ground, responding to gravity. Right, and we're on the earth, and that's a real thing, and to be able to make a pattern of noise with her with her his feet that is something that is real, that is happening. And so that makes me think about the pragmatism of government and -hmm. the realities that we have to respond to real needs. And there's real systems in place and real failures that have occurred over the past hundreds of years that lead people to not have trust in democracy but where the artistry comes in or where i think the beauty and the whimsy and like the joy that an artist can bring in through their imaginations and the and the practice of that imagination i think about their hands and the flailing of Mm -hmm. the body that's happening up in the air and so it's the light and the weightlessness that happens above and that gravity that's happening below it's that marriage to me the art that i try to practice really is a balance of of these things the airy and and whimsical and joyful and um untethered and that which is bound by gravity which talks to us about what are real needs what are what is substantive uh, process and so i think when i think about that major react reaction and the fear of it i'm like well no you have to put it into a construct and into a timeline that is responsible where we are caring deeply about information and science and and things that bind us to to the natural world and we're also thinking what is possible how do we disarm Ourselves in a process of inventing a future we couldn't have imagined without each other.
1: Right, that's kind of what. I'm I, such a good way of putting it because it's sort of how I think of your work overall. Is like imagining what is possible in the very stark realities that communities exist in right now, and and this might be a good time actually to ask you about your color and faith project, um, because that seems to me a really clear example of an art project that can lift people above and start helping them look forward while completely not ignoring the situation that they exist in now. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, for a period of about five years, uh, my co- colleague and I, Nabila Alibai, who is a culture producer in Nairobi, um, she invited me to participate in the question of, you know I don't know if you remember, but in 2013, Obama was gonna be visiting Kenya and when he was, oh, uh, CNN announced that um, he was going to be visiting a hotbed of terror, and it was highly, highly like it was really controversial in Nairobi and all over Kenya because obviously, yes, the Al Shabaab attack had occurred in in uh, in that mall in Nairobi a few months before, but the reality is that like yet yeah, there's. There were fears and dangers that were real there then but there was also a pluralism of beauty and joy and cultural producers and incredible things that happened in in kenya and so when we think about a global news organization stamping terror on a country you Mm -hmm. think about like the devastation of all what that does to tourism what that does to like how people see themselves in that country and outside of that country and how people begin to objectify and and create a single narrative of of a place. And that to me is enormously harmful. And so everywhere with my projects, what we're trying to do is create a a myriad of stories, right? How do we multiply the narratives of all the people who inhabit a particular place so that we can honor all of the ways of being that exist in that one place. Um, This makes me think about Chimamanda, Adichie and the danger of a single story. Um, uh, And so, what we were doing there was when, when I landed in Nairobi and I spent time there with the cultural producers that I was in relation to, we began asking the question, how do we create ISIS of love? How do we begin to create bombs and explosions of care mm-hmm. that counter the bloodiness and the, the heartbreak that happens when a terrible thing occurs, you know, that that is real, right? Like that is heartbreaking, that is grounded in you know, ideas about our earth that are uh, based on scarcity and that are limited by, you know, uh, just the realities of the imbalance of information and education in our, in our, in our earth. Um, but so the, the solution we came up with was the idea that we were gonna paint houses of worship yellow in the name of love. This included mosques, temples, churches. And the idea was that communities of different faiths, Christians, Hindus, uh, Muslims, uh, atheists, all kinds of folks would gather and would make a plan and figure out how we were gonna find the paint and tell our story and actually paint these buildings, transforming them into sculptures in the landscape that speak about our common humanity. What I think for me, when I think about my art practice, yes, those yellow buildings, we've painted 16 of them still stand and are mm-hmm. all kinds of shapes and are made out of all kinds of materials. Um, the true success of the work are the relationships that were built when people showed up to put paint to wall and have meals together and learn about each other, about what is our favorite food? How do we, you know, I mean, what is your favorite time to go to to the countryside to enjoy the weather? I mean, like Mm -hmm. different things where you're like, the humanizing of people just collaborating and process and asking each other questions and laughing because, you know, silly things happen when you're putting paint to wall. Um, that is the magic and the miracle of the work. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? We have left, we, in every single community, in every single neighborhood, we leave behind buildings that are yellow and people who are friends.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: to me, that is the transformative power of, you know, I, I always, like in some ways, the projects are excuses for us to get to know each other. Right. Um, and and that's at the heart of it. And so when I think about the very beginning of a process, I'm like, what well, sounds like the most impossible thing? It took us years to figure out the buildings that were going to be painted and the relationships that were going to be built. But when we got to it, it was a testament to like the beauty and the capacity for humans to be able to transform and change the way they think about each other. Yeah. And I think that there lies an enormous ocean of possibility.
1: Yeah, it's like a. How- I always think of that as the art is the medium through which you do the other thing right it's exactly. the medium that gets you to the rehumanizing everyone and bringing folks together i remember when you did our co-creation project for attack 4 we did the flag project and that was a really great example of that happening on a much smaller scale than what you're talking about in Nairobi but for everyone listening folks were asked to bring to the conference a piece of fabric And then from their home country, that linked to their life in some way. And then we were all given these little sewing kits. And there was a space where there were no workshops happening, where everyone could go, take a minute and sew. And you had to stitch your piece of fabric to someone else's. And then write a little letter that said what your fabric was, why you chose it. And then what ended up happening was the people you're sitting and stitching next to end up becoming like your BFF for the conference. And then those connections I still have, I still keep in touch with the people I sat next to sewing with at attack four. And so that to me was like such a clarifying example of, this is how you build communities without people realizing they're there to build a community, right? They're not suspicious going in. They're like, I'm just gonna sew.
2: Yeah. It's exactly right. I think one of the things that I feel like is an important part of the practice too is to get everyone to understand that this qualifier of like, oh, I'm not an artist. I don't sew that. I don't sew, or -hmm. I don't. I don't do that. And it's like, what don't you do? We all can do all of the things. Mm -hmm. Really, like even if you sing out of tune, you can still sing, and it's still a song. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but when I think about that that practice, I think, gosh, it's so. It makes me think. It's so simple. And it's so disarming, mm-hmm. you know, how was it that the, the invitation disarms you in a way that you don't expect that makes you become somebody, somebody you wouldn't think you were. And I mm-hmm. think that, that there's something really that's a gift uh, for me, too. When I, the more I think I mean, I'm, I'm going to be turning 40 years old in a month and a half, in a month, actually, mm-hmm. literally, in a, a month from now, I turn 40 and it has me reflecting a lot and I think about my art practice, and I, I will tell you that one of the things that's a really beautiful realization is to understand that my art practice, the art practice that I've built with my body in my lifetime, has been about my own healing, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of the relationships have actually fed me too. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about people getting to know each other and building those relationships, I think about how it's, I have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers all over the world because in all of my projects, I have lived and worked and figured out things. With others mm-hmm. who showed up and believed that the questions I was asking had meaning. Right. And so it's been a real, real honor to be able to be in the practice of asking these questions and finding answers together.
1: That's such a gift. You're right. And I guess then, if while you're reflecting and looking back, have you been able to identify a point at which you were like, I'm really good, this is my skill set, I'm good at this? Or did it sort of grow? Like, how did you? It seems from the outside, such a clear approach and such an a breadth of work that you must have started when you were like four. <laughs> so.
2: Well, here's, here's how it happened. Here's how it happened. My mother was very conservative, so she, she thought I should study something serious and what that meant for me in the construct of what I had my passions when I was a younger person in high school. Uh, I ended up studying architecture. Mm. And so in architecture school, every other semester, I actually studied abroad and I studied Industrial design in London, fashion design in Milan. I studied urban planning in Barcelona. I studied with painters and musicians in Brazil when I was doing my masters. Wow. And so I understood from the very beginning that cross pollination was enormously in- important to me. I was really interested in understanding how different ways of thinking could inform each other, and how they those overlaps and those variations could begin to move things and in, um, invite different processes to exist.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: so from that way of thinking and even in my linguistic approach, like I, I, I speak different languages and the, it, it, may, it informs my the way that my brain makes adjacencies and assumptions and things like that. And so um, I, I think about, you know, it's been a growth. I think, you know, I'll, I'll be really transparent as a gay man who grew up in Colombia, who felt like an outsider as a child and mo- most of my life. I feel I felt like that huge part of my practice has been to understand what creates connection in a meaningful way beyond language, beyond mm-hmm. judgment. And so when I think about the practice now, I think, oh my God, it's so beautiful that like the point is to create pluralist, pluralist ways of thinking so that everyone is not judgment. So we're all a little bit less judgmental, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think growing up, there's so much judgment that I think limits our capacity to imagine what's possible. And that judgment is of each other. I think when we begin to Uh, Undo and take away all of those restraints, we can begin to imagine new possibilities that will allow us to thrive together. You know, Mm -hmm. as whole communities, not just bits and pieces that are gaining and winning, and others that are struggling.
1: Right. I think it's really interesting, actually, the link you drew between languages and multiple truths of something. I'm before I worked with ITAC, I worked for a a national charity to do with language learning and arts. And it was always interesting when you see someone learning a new language, what what phrases are passive and what phrases are active really inform people's perception of an event, right? So like, if you say this Mm -hmm. happened, or if you say he did this, or she was affected by that, it shifts internally how someone remembers something, right? So I'm curious whether you see that is something which has opened up the idea of the danger of one story, I guess, in your own work, because that seems so linked to me.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think about the fact that Carl Jung, the psychologist, used to talk about the fact that to be able to survive the 21st century, one must be able to hold two opposing truths at the same time. And so when I think about that, I think it is at the heart of my practice to think about how do we, like, it. I'll give you an an example that I think is really, that I really appreciate. My, my father-in-law always talks about the idea or speaks about the notion that he doesn't understand, but he wants to understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that approach is critical, right? Like how can we celebrate that which we have yet to understand? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: There's so, so often we close up or we, we think that, that which we don't understand is against us or not a part of, something we could gain from. And I think that that's a huge part, like how is it that we can disarm that expectation and allow ourselves to be like, no, what, maybe there are way, different ways to think about that. Maybe they are right.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: to give your space, to give yourself the space. I will tell you that for so much of my life, I wanted to be like, oh, I know, I know, I know, I got it. I know what you're talking about. I know what, it's like, no, actually, I don't know.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: the more we can practice that I don't know and I'm I'm moving towards understanding as a verbal thing that we actually practice, the more we, I don't know, the more I think we'll be able to really build a society that that is not based on this external idea of like being like completely stable and whole all the time. I mean, does that make sense?
1: Like, totally. I think there's such yeah. a freedom in just admitting you don't know. I, I am, yeah. I so get you in the Oh, I know, I know. I was totally that kid in school. Oh, I know. So, yeah. <laughs> <I'm> like,
2: <laughs> and I'm, I think that, yeah, there's a day, like the elitism. And it, when we think about, oh, our words are so big, like I'm so smart. I can use big words. It's like, no, nope, my love we have to come to a place on our earth where like language is alive and transformative and transforming. And that means that we can honor all of the ways of speaking. And it doesn't mean that one way of speaking is more calibrated than the other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like a way of really beginning to honor all the ways of, of, that we are. Mm-hmm. I think totally. that it, it, it begs the question of like, what is education? You know, who is educated?
1: yeah and for what purpose yeah Yeah. if it's just to pass exams then i would argue we're not really yeah education versus learning are two separate things in my book um but i'm with you i'm i'm trying to learn a new language right now and it's not going well (laughs) what are you
2: what are you learning i'm
1: learning mandarin and i have been for literally years (laughs) and i'm like um you know i've got until i retire to figure this out so i'm like i have like 35 years i'm good i'll be okay but I'm also, I have to keep reminding myself that it doesn't matter if you're not good at this. It doesn't matter if you don't know, because you're trying to know. And that's all you can do as a human is try and know. So I, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Not being the one who just has the answer anymore is like a good reminder.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Also, because I think one of the things about my art practice that I think is really special is the fact that like when you show up and you're vulnerable and you actually practice vulnerability, Mm -hmm. your ideas have, to have the capacity to change, mm-hmm. which is like, I'll tell you as an artist, I'll be like, oh, I have this great idea in Johannesburg. We're gonna have you know, hundreds of people show up in different colored outfits and we're gonna make a sculpture in public space. And what eventually ends up happening is that you understand that there is enormous homeless, uh, there's a homelessness crisis, and there's a work, uh, a labor crisis happening in Johannesburg, and you have to deal with other questions that the communities are actually asking for themselves, like where are there space, safe spaces to live, mm-hmm. which le- eventually leads to the uh, Beware of Color installation. But again, like in practice, you literally see how there's an idea that is transformed again and again and again until you land on something that everyone present feels excited by that we're all going to make happen together and so it's really allowing yourself to be like I have a great idea but maybe that's not it
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and maybe it's not that other great idea and maybe it's not that other one Mm -hmm. and maybe it's another one that's really far away that we have to walk towards Mm -hmm. to better understand it and to invite everyone to participate in imagining if that's the one how do we do it right you know and to really trust the process which is hard I struggle I mean like I'll tell you that like to this day I still have a lot of you know challenges that show up in my emotions being vulnerable to the ideas of other people to be like is that it does that feel right is that like do I let go of these? like how much of my ego wants to control and wants to but no like it is that's the practice and when you do it honestly everyone can feel it and it gets everyone to really Mm co-own whatever it is that we're creating together in a way that's really genuine Where no longer it belongs to one person it belongs to the whole to the group
1: right and that's those are muscles you have to train too because obviously I trained as as an actor but then since I've been a project manager and so I'm like but the spreadsheets what will I write down in budget item three (laughs) it's really hard to marry those two things and and authentically co-create something while part of your brain is going but what about the budget it just it is it's a real dance that has to happen yeah And so looking ahead to the future then, I know you'll be doing your artist-in-residency with New York for the rest of this year, right? Until about Mm -hmm. August, is that right? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's going to be extended actually because our project is going into the fall with the People's Buzz, the thing we're developing is going in further and so that makes me feel very excited.
1: Nice. And so has, I suppose this is a two-part question. The first part is how have you been, able to do that work in a sort of COVID landscape and I the second I guess would be something different that I'll come to in a minute actually I'll ask the COVID one first how is that informing what you're up to?
2: Yeah well you know it's been really hard I'm somebody who really like tries to live in their body and a lot of my art practice deals with like getting into circles doing wacky whimsical movements that uh, get us information that lives in their bodies that we can't find anywhere else and so oftentimes what's been challenging is that we've been on Zoom on comp- in front of computers and mo- I have a team of eight people that I work with at the agency and it's been mostly on Zooms. I, I would say that I spend between five to eight hours on Zoom a day. Um, it's been super hard because the realities that, like, we there's something that is lost through not being in our bodies physically in space. There is something that is gained, though, which is the reality that everyone is in their homes and you have access to parts of their lives that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, there are things that I've been I have had to recalibrate. Um, I met my first co- my, my in person, I met my first colleague from the agency about a month and a half ago. I've now just met three of them mm-hmm. because we've been doing site visits for our project. Um, but I look forward to the day that we can all be together in space and actually like share energy because there is a difference, you know yeah. what I mean? And, I, and, and so one of the things uh, in, in my appro- in my learning about how to approach the work through Zoom, I've had to figure out new ways of, you know, new practices, new ways of creating conversation and being embodied in, in while we're in front of our computers. And so that's meant that we had a meeting, I think, in November, where I asked everybody to show up in their sweats and literally go in front of their computers and pretend like like we're jogging in the park together with our eyes closed. It's <laughs> like that. We're like, and I, I invited them to meet my mother and my nephew at the bench in the park
3: Uh-oh. because
2: I talk about the work being really personal. And these imaginings, this playfulness is a critical aspect of how we find information that we get to that will serve us in, in mm-hmm. ways that we wouldn't expect... Um, and, and that's been a huge part of, of the way that I, I i've been trying to think about how to find meaning through through our computer screens and seeing right. each other flat you know on a two-dimensional surface
1: right it's hard to do the thing where people don't know they're there to build a community when they have to like sign up and log in in advance and things so i yeah i hear you
2: um, and when everybody's tired of being in front of a computer because there's a real fatigue right everybody's tired of like sitting up and being in front of people and I will tell you that, you know, there's been moments where people don't want to turn on their screens. So you have people's voices and not much else. And so that makes it extremely hard to be able to create meaning together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I we had our conference in September. And we had to move online. And um, one of my favorite sessions was hosted by someone who had us dancing but she was like just go off to the side just dance like wildly arms flailing legs flailing we'll do that for 10 seconds then we'll come back and we'll write something and then we'll get up and we'll flail and then we'll come back and write and the joy that came from just that freedom to move and be silly but know that everyone else was doing it too and remove all judgment was really freeing it was something I'm going to remember I think
2: so beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. I really appreciate those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, so I guess with that in mind, the the second part of the the question is looking at the future. What do you think we should be channeling time and energy towards? I think everyone's kind of in this space of looking ahead now, and we're sort of emerging. Vaccines are happening. People are going to go back to work in a very different way, and I wonder what do you consider as the priorities we should all be funneling towards for for good lasting change?
2: Well, you know, I keep thinking about Madeline is this idea of how can we build gymnasiums for the human imagination Mm -hmm. in all of our our environments, urban and rural, right? What do I mean by that? I mean that for me, I think that more than ever, we have so much information about, about the past 2000 years of civilization And with all of the information we have, we can make new decisions and new ways of approaching the challenges of our time. Mm -hmm. And and when I think about that, I'm like, what is it that it is a resource? As an artist, I prize creativity and imagination. I think that they are my tools. And so I think, are there ways to begin to create spaces where we are literally exercising our our minds the way that we exercise our bodies? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's nice to have a six pack and like big arms, but the reality is that more than ever, what we have to be thinking about is our capacity to transform ourselves, each other, our collectives, our you know our countries, our continents, mm-hmm. uh, the way our relationship to nature. There's so much to me that is is grounded in the capacity to imagine possibility and change. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I rely heavily on the work of uh, emergent strategy, Adrian Marie Brown, in the United States, who believe you know who, who takes her, her her information and her knowledge uh, derives from Octavia Butler and Audre Lorde, black feminists who believed that God was, that God is changed, right? Octavia okay, yeah, Butler speaks to us about that fact that like the, the only constant is change, God is changed. And when I think about those notions and our capacity to like be, become aware of our agency to transform it, ourselves and each other, that to me is where it's at. And I, that is the practice of, of exercising the imagination and the brain. Mm-hmm. and so more than ever i think we should be prioritizing this as a resource that we invite all human beings to participate in it is our our, our right to to be able to be fully embodied and have the capacity to live out lives that that um that are monuments to ourselves mm-hmm. i love so, that a future yeah, cri-
1: of imagination
2: yeah more than ever we that's what i would prioritize it's like how do we put all of our resources when i think about our journalists when i think about our politicians, when I I was like, no, how how does everybody invite everybody into these spaces of imagining,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, of trusting that with each other, we can figure out how to take the next steps towards making this, our cities more sustainable towards, you know, cleaning up our oceans towards, you know, getting rid of a punitive justice system that no longer works anywhere in the world, right? We have to be thinking about mental health. I mean, the, the, the thing that is incredible to me is that everything is intersectional. So all of the challenges inform each other. If we could begin to have a more holistic approach to these questions, we would begin to actually transform in the space of even asking the questions, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. so right.
1: And so much of it, I mean, it's completely interwoven, I agree, and so much of it comes back to the person. And have they felt joy recently? Have they had that rich inner life of imagination and play? And I, I'm totally with you. That could that could really change things if everyone had access to flexing those muscles and they were appreciated a little more. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I love that. Okay, so I'm I'm looking at the clock, and I could talk to you for hours, but I shouldn't <laughs> because there's an episode. Um. So on finally to sort of always end the episodes and wrap them up, we ask people sort of quick fire questions and just first thing that pops into your head response. Okay, mm-hmm. you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Who inspires you?
2: Anna DeVere-Smith, who speaks about the idea that we all all humans speaking organic po- poems. I paid attention, deep attention to those organic
1: poems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm obsessed with her right now. <laughs> Okay. What keeps you motivated?
2: All of the loves of my life, all of my beloveds, my partner, Danny, my sisters, my mother, my friends. I have a legion of people who support me and who enable my dreaming.
1: And where are you most grounded? In my heart. Hmm. That's lovely. And how do you stay focused?
2: It's really hard for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, by my drawings. My drawings keep me focused usually.
1: Okay. And finally, why change?
2: Because there's no other way.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Yasmani. It's been so lovely talking to you.
2: Uh, It's such an honor. I feel feel privileged to be in conversation with you, Madeline, and I thank you for your time and for for inviting me into conversation. Thank you so much.
0: Join Teaching Artists Guild, TAG, for their BIPOC youth-led professional development workshops. Teen Artists will lead interactive workshops on the third Wednesday of each month through June. Workshops are accessible with sign language interpretation offered by Pro Bono ASL. They're also open to all, and there's a sliding scale fee for those available to support this program. On May 26, join TAG for arts-inspired youth justice movements. Many of the major social justice movements that are happening around the world today have been led by youth artists. Here's your chance to hear from some of them. In this workshop, teen artists will share how arts have played a role in their activism and how you can foster a sense of agency in your students. More info at teachingartistguild.org. You know what, Madeline? My inspiration is just <laughs> multiplying today. <laughs> Listening to that interview, it just gave me so much hope hope that is cultivated by artists and communal creative processes amidst just a really crazy time, uh, sometimes a little troubling in our mm-hmm. world. A- and I know you talked about um, your experience in this process that Yasmani leads with the co-creation project or the flag project as you called it within the Mm -hmm. international teaching artists conference that happened a few years ago in new york can you talk to me a little bit about the impact now a few years later of that type of work
1: yeah and the impact is so i feel like it's so huge because what that flag project did was provide a platform for meeting people in an informal way where you don't Think you're showing up to meet people you think you're showing up to do an art project and then inherently are building community and and of course that's the goal that you're not told it's the goal and so you come out with like a five a, a group of five that are your new bfs for the conference because you didn't know anyone and now you do and so that's a, it's a really nice way of doing that um and it was done through obviously stitching like we talked about but what i mean that the fallout from that kind of community building at a conference like that one really good example because it's recent and um, the person I sat next to I think on day one or day two and stitched with was a woman called Jeanette who's in North Carolina and we sat and we stitched and then I was talking to her about ITAC and what I'm hoping to do with it at that point and I'm, and these things called catalysts I think I want to try and utilize people So then Jeanette emailed me after the conference, like, hey, I want to do that thing. Let's do it. So then she became one of our catalysts. Then she came to my workshop at ITAC 5 because she was like, let's reconnect. I want to see you. I want to see your face. And then my workshop was about what can you do today that will affect change three years from now? And so she was like, huh, what can I do? And took it to heart and did some of the exercise I explained, went off and started her own teaching network, Teaching Artist Network in North Carolina and now they have a weekly meeting and they have their own cohort and um, obviously i was supporting them for the first little while with like zoom links and stuff like that giving them access to the account and then they hosted a think tank for us last month to explain how they started this grassroots effort so that other folks can attend and start their own grassroots network and it's this sort of snowball effect of what can happen from conversations and it's it was yeah it was a really beautiful example of that
0: yeah, and you know, I think the more opportunities that we have to come together and to share space and to truly co-create, which is a word that that Yasmani <laughs> used, are really important. Particularly after the year twenty twenty, I mean, the amount of isolation that people have experienced, but also the real need for building those authentic connections. I think there's divisions that have run very deep for a long time and that were. Absolutely exacerbated um, with social uh, conflict around the world in in 2020, um, be it related to um, issues of, of uh, racial equity, be it related to the health pandemic or the growing economic divide or political divides, you know, and finding a shared common interest to just create is is so important. And I think one thing that stood out to me from Yasmani's description of his work is this idea that we're not only creating artworks, a, a stitched flag project, a community mm-hmm. mural or whatever, but that we're co-creating humanity and love mm-hmm. and joy and imagination. And those words are just so powerful. There's one term that he used was talking about, you know, going in and, and creating a bomb of creativity, which oftentimes when we think of some of those words that are more violent in nature or whatever it 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 brings up these long-standing issues of conflict, and I mm-hmm. think that the focus of using arts and culture to create simple connections, to disarm people, to have a, right. a communal power to come together is just so, so important, especially right. right now.
1: It's the disarming people, I think, and that's what, I remember being really caught off guard when, it, when we first did the flag thing, because I was like, oh yeah, it's a stitching project, that's cool, I'll find time and I'll go and sit down. And then it's the just the connections that instantly come from just doing something together. And I think as well, just in the world, in these areas of conflict that you talk about, having one dominant perspective or one dominant culture or, yeah, perspective is probably the best way to put it, that has created all the systems and all the institutions and all the structures that exist that govern makes others feel very uncomfortable to those in power I think or very unusual or strange and then the minute you have can introduce a project like this which just starts that this is a human and here's a project that I would love you to do together for 20 minutes and then we'll come back together and chat and then they come back and all of a sudden nothing's that strange nothing that scary it's just a human who you've had a lovely 20 minutes with doing something nice and the, the shift that can happen from that is so significant, and I think people people often undervalue that um, and write it off as kind of wooly or something, you know, soft. But that is how real change starts to happen as people humanize and listen and and just drop their guards.
0: Absolutely, I totally agree because you could be sitting next to someone who's the head of a. a you know, a country's department of arts and culture. You could be sitting next (laughs) to an independent teaching artist that is living paycheck to paycheck. You could be sitting next to uh, an incredibly famous artist, you know, or a phenomenal educator that has generations of students that have come through their classrooms. It really doesn't matter. And it's a really tangible way to just disrupt some of those hierarchies, some of those Mm -hmm. norms, um, you know, to use some of the terminology that we talk about within our work at Creative Generation to... Um, to go through a process of social transformation. And and because it's a creative process, we would call it creative social transformation. Mm -hmm. This approach to thinking about the way our societies have systematically created divisions and to use arts and culture to break that down um, Mm -hmm. to its most um, kind of nuclear level um, and to empower artists, creatives, particularly young artists and creatives to be the catalyst for that change. And I just think that that's something that is so important. But, you know, one thing that's interesting, um, and this ties in with another bit of research that we're doing right now that we should have more, more findings on uh, later in our summertime, but it's this idea of challenging um, those artists who exit the field, right? In arts and culture world, we celebrate when someone makes it as a musician or hangs their first exhibition mm-hmm. or performs on Broadway or is commercially successful as a musician or or what have you. and there's a, almost a disdain for, for artists who are trained in the arts, maybe go to an art school or graduate with a, a fine arts degree from a college or university, and then exit the field. hmm but Yasmani's a perfect example of someone who exited the field, works in civic engagement in government, mm-hmm. but is a working artist that's making a tremendous difference. And I think we, we have to challenge some of those assumptions that we put in place on ourselves as a mm-hmm. sector in the arts and culture and creativity world, because we have to remember that the skills that are developed as artists can be applied everywhere, whether you're mm-hmm. making a painting, making some theater, or creatively designing a way to um, empower young people to be civically engaged in a large city like New York.
1: Yeah, you can't be annoyed that there are no artists in government and then demonize artists that leave to go into government, right? Like, if you can't do both, it doesn't make sense. So, I mean, I'm with you. I think, I don't know how you describe your own role now, but I certainly am not practicing my art nearly as often as I used to. Now I facilitate stuff that makes it easier for other people to do that or, you know, try and shift policy wherever I can. But I don't know that I really still class as a working artist in the same way I would have done five years ago. So, yeah, I I think if you really want an ecosystem shift, you need to let people exist in different parts of that ecosystem. That just feels like a an obvious fact, but you're right, there's definitely a stigma.
0: You know, but you're right, I think I, I wouldn't classify myself as an artist anymore. I mean, I am very proud of my history growing up as a a tap dancer and being on stage, I mean it's working as a teaching artist with young people um, in the performing arts in particular. Um, Don't ever ask me to do visual arts, that is definitely (laughs) not my strong suit, but the, What's interesting though, is that I learned certain skills in creative problem solving and Mm -hmm. designing things. I mean, you know, figuring out, I'll never forget working as a teaching artist and working in a school that there were uh, almost 100 young people in a middle school production musical theater. (laughs) And it was like, how do you, you know, create an eight minute dance sequence that can can honor the performance of a hundred people? Mm-hmm. And that is the type of creative problem solving that I use right now. It might yes. be how do we conduct a global study in a pandemic when you can't mm-hmm. travel, but yes. it's that same level of creativity. Or when I'm, you know, teaching um, at the university level, how do we design a curriculum that can cover, you know, hundreds of years of history in in seven mm-hmm. classes, or you know, what it whatever it is. But it is that idea of sort of applied creativity mm-hmm. um, that that's how I sort of remain connected. And it does give me the same high. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really, really corny to say, mm-hmm. but the same I'm high I would get from performing on a stage and then driving home after a performance late at night is the high that I get after I finish designing a syllabus with a lot of creative approaches in it. Mm-hmm. And that seems ridiculous to say out loud, but it's absolutely <laughs> true in my life. But, you know, something that comes with that though is this this humility, To say, you know, I am, um, you know, a former artist or I am a creative practitioner, and I'm working in a space that I have a lot of expertise, but there's also things I don't know. And that was something from Yasmani's perspective that just really resonated with me is that ability to sort of admit what we don't know and Mm -hmm. use it as a learning opportunity filled with humility in order to communally progress um, the ideals that we're working on together.
1: Yeah. And it's true because the, the other thing that the other way you can phrase not knowing um, but being open is being curious, right? Having curiosity. And that's so central to making any kind of art, um, I would argue. The curiosity to know about others and to examine things or to look at things from a different perspective, all of which can create social change if channeled in a certain direction or if applied in a certain way. And I really loved one of the phrases he used about creating gyms for the imagination, or gymnasiums, I think he called them for the imagination, because I was starting to think, wow, like, what if that happened? Like, what what would young people's inner lives be if we rewarded that or we encouraged that in the same way, like, Instagram encourages, I don't know, body types or or. I don't know Chanel handbags or whatever, but like if that was valued, that level of creativity and like inner life was valued and trained in the same way, oh, it would just the world would be different. It would,
0: yeah. (laughs) I could talk
1: to Yasani forever because I always come out like this.
0: What if the world? But it's so true. But you know what you're saying is so important. This idea that a gymnasium, or even your the word that you used was training. Um, For imagination that that speaks to the fact that this isn't something you know that we're born with I I can get on a whole Mm -hmm. soapbox about the word talent. um, Because talent implies that it's something that you either have or you don't have and that runs uh, counter to everything that I believe about um, the arts world, but the the whole idea, though, of, of training our imagination speaks to this fact to go full circle in our conversation today of why we need policies that provide opportunities for arts and culture in communities and in schools um, and that fund and support arts and cultural education um, from the earliest years through the rest of your life because that muscle of imagination, if you will, has to be exercised, has to Mm -hmm. be strengthened. And it's those who have that really astute and powerful imagination solve those big, complex challenges that we face as society. And if we ever really hope to progress as a people, as a global people, we must focus on creating those environments that allow imagination to thrive, in yeah. my opinion.
1: No, I agree. And, and not to bring everything back to the election because I'm so on track-minded But the at the moment, but whenever I watched our um, well for UK it was Brexit it was this really really kind of toxic campaign that got ran and then watching your elections over there as well and I sometimes just look at these people saying these things and I'm like when's the last time you think they felt joy right like when did that person saying all this stuff and you know making these horrendous claims when were they last joyful and you're like I bet it's been a while <laughs> I bet you have not like that environment just doesn't exist in you in the same way that maybe it could and if these people (laughs) growing up had had access to some of that inner possibility I really don't think we'd be where we are and it's I I'm such an advocate for that and it's the same as the radical empathy or hospitality or there's so many words we have for it in our field right but it's it's nurturing a human is what we're talking about and there's certainly room for that to happen more fully and more long term as we see evidenced all over the world. So any way we get there is is good with me.
0: And we can all do with a little more empathy and a little more imagination and definitely Mm -hmm. some more joy. I think back to this weekend, there was one dancer in particular that I had the pleasure of working with who by all measures in dance was definitely not the best dancer but you know was out there giving it their all on stage living their best life (laughs) and it just gave me such hope and I think that's what what we're talking about here is the idea of building in or or co-creating that hope and that Mm -hmm. joy and that love and that's really what what can make a difference regardless of whether it be an election um, (laughs) or or some social change or Um, education reform or anything of that nature. It is absolutely essential. But I hope this gives some inspiration to all of our listeners out there. I know we're both inspired today. I hope you all are too. This does bring us to a close for our conversation today. And we'll look forward to seeing you or hearing you or talking with you next time on the Why Change podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. If you would like to support this podcast aimed at amplifying the voices of creative change makers around the world, please consider donating through the link located in the episodes show notes. These show notes contain all sources discussed in the episode. Be sure to follow like subscribe and share the why change podcast to make sure you and your networks get episodes delivered directly to you and that you don't miss any stories of creative work happening around the world. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Also, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at info at generationorg We would love to hear your ideas, the topics you want to learn about, and why change matters to you. Our show is produced and edited by Daniel Stanley. Our music is by Distant Cousins. A special thanks to our contributors, co-hosts, and the team at Creative Generation for their support.